What's up, guys? You're tuning in the Founder Hour. I'm your co-host, Pat. I'm Posh. That's Posh. And today on the show, we're joined by none other than Daniel Cassidi. Daniel, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for coming, guys. I appreciate it. Big fan of Founder Hour and uh, some of the things you guys have been doing over the last couple of years. So I'm honored and, uh, you know, let's get it started. Love it, man. Big fan of Rasta Cloud as well, and which is the company you founded. So excited to get into that and learn more about how that came about and where you're now. But why don't we kind of kick things off with kind of the... The genesis, man, the beginning of Daniel Cassidy. The beginning, right? So the beginning uh, for me, um, I was born in, in Africa, in Kenya. Um, some of you guys may know where that is. I mean, it's really, it's in the east coast of Africa, and I was born, uh, last born of three. Okay. And so uh, I had a great family, great upbringing. But as we know, you know, that, part's, that part of the world, it's hard to, get an education and, and really have opportunities. So um, at a young age, uh, my parents decided that we wanted to move to America, right? And interestingly, my grandfather was a professor at Cal State Fullerton, um, but my, my dad and mom lived in Kenya. And um, I was about five years old, and I literally remember the day that we left. You know, I announced it to, like, my classmates huh. in first grade and they literally threw me like a parade yeah. you know and daniel before we get into the story of that day and how you felt and you know what it was like why don't you kind of give us a background into what life was like in kenya you know you i know you were young but i'm sure you know from stories or other things you remember and perhaps you know let's clarify the perception that folks here in the united states might have of that part of the world absolutely you know, life in Kenya was, it was simple, you know. I mean, I was a kid, but I remember my mom, uh, my mom was an agricultural engineer. And so same with my dad, you know, college educated. Um, you know, when you're there, when you build a family, like you build your own home. You know, like my dad built his, our house with his own bare hands, but it was, a, it was on an acre of land. <clears throat> so um, it was probably about 4,000 square feet. Yeah. But he built it by himself, him and his buddies, you know? You just had to learn how to do it. Yeah, so. you just learned how to do it. And, you know, when you're there, from what I remember, you're, you're really raised by a community, right? So, you know, you have your house and then your neighbors have their houses, but the, we all look, up, look after each other, you know? So it's kind of like, like a network event or a network system where, huh. you know, parents are out, they're doing things, but kids are running around the neighborhood, but everyone's watching over each other. And so I remember my childhood, just so much freedom, you know, like go out, play, do whatever, come back before it's dark, um, get into trouble, whatever yeah. that you did. But it was just, it just felt free and um, it was just didn't feel stress. I was really, really happy as a child and we had, we had a lot of adventures and learned a lot of things. And um, yeah, my parents were, were very hardworking. They were professionals. And, you know, I remember things like having to go to school and what that experience was like. And, you know, you walked to school three or four miles as like a five, six-year-old without your parents, mm -hmm. you know? And it was okay which is like unheard of now in yeah. America. Even. Oh, yeah. Forget that. Yeah. Or you hop in like a – I mean, you guys have probably seen it if you've gone to like any developing country. You hop on like a, you know, a taxi or something. There's like 100 people on it. You're just hanging on, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember vividly as a kid going to – it was a rainy day downpouring and you're walking through like flooding and you're just a kid and your parents aren't there and it's just you your brother and your sister and it's just like that freedom at such a young age was was crazy yeah, yeah. i think simple like you said is probably the best way to describe it and, and on that simple. note like the simplicity of just kind of life uh, in general like was did you feel like maybe 
from your parents or just the community? Like, was there this like kind of pressure of just like trying to make it and trying to be super successful and kind of like the you know what it's like kind of in America right now? There was uh, no pressure in terms of yeah. that. I think the mindset of the culture yeah. is that take care, build a family, take care of that family, teach them the ways of the culture, and you live a very simple life. You don't really aspire for anything crazy. Yeah. You know, you have your space, you have your family, and you just you just do that. And so mm-hmm. there was no pressure, you yeah. know. Um, people, how people live there is like they get off work, they go, they might go to the bar and hang out on the weekends. You hang out, barbecues, things of that nature. And they're happier. They're happier. Yeah. There's no, you don't what, need a Mercedes Benz. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel, what was your perception? As a kid, or even when you were at that point of we were about you, you were about to move to uh, the United States. What was your perception of America or the United States specifically? I really had no frame of reference of what it was. I just knew it was this like magical place, like Disneyland or something. Like yeah, that. you know that's all I knew. Yeah. I just that's knew. what was advertised. I mean, what was like what was the word in Kenya about LA specifically? Even there was there was no word really. There's nothing advertised. Yeah. It was just like you knew that there was this place called America that everybody wanted to go to. Yeah. And so it was like, it was just like this thought, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't anything. There was no, I didn't have TV, so mm-hmm. I didn't never seen anything from America. It was just this thing that you mm-hmm. knew was like out there somewhere. And did everyone strive to do that? Like move to America or was it like a certain type of person that I wanted to? Everyone that wanted to have a better life. Yeah. Strive for that. Every and what did, what was, what did better mean? Cause it sounds like, I mean, now, like, kind of looking back, like, it's, you know, it's such a happy place. It's so simple. And, like, that could be better for a lot of people than the kind of craziness and chaos that ensues in America. So, I don't know. Like, what was the better? Was it just more opportunity? Yeah, I think they, we saw it as more opportunity, education specifically, and and more opportunity to, to be something without having to deal with a lot of the corruption that goes on in these governments. And, and. And those hurdles that you'd have to face being raised in mm-hmm. that country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, education obviously is a big thing. Like both yeah. of our parents immigrated to the U.S. too for that main mm-hmm. reason, is mm-hmm. to like right. for a better life and giving, mm-hmm. allowing us to have an education that they otherwise couldn't have had in, in another country. So I guess when you so like you come to America, were you able to like acclimate pretty quickly, or was it like tough, like making friends or just kind of the culture, all that stuff? Like what was that like? Um, when I came to America, it was definitely hard to acclimate. You know, um, so I'll tell you where I moved. I moved from uh, Kenya to Orange County, you know, like, <laughs> and not like, yeah. like, Placentia, your Belinda, you know, yeah. it was like 90% Caucasian. Yeah. I mean, maybe, not much has changed, but. Yeah. yeah, not much has changed. Maybe 90%, 80% Caucasian and then another, you know, 20% Hispanics and, and Asian Americans and so on and so forth. So I was like one of four black kids in my entire school Mm. and then you know so it was just like imagine going from somewhere where everyone looks like you to where nobody looks like you right you know and it's actually interesting because when i go out to with friends like my white friends or any other one and i take them to like an all black like event they're like whoa like this is crazy you know (laughs) yeah it's like imagine that that's your reality yeah right Yeah, it's like a culture shock it's a culture shock and so i think what was different what was difficult about it was that like, A, people just thinking, like, them having a perception of what an African person is, is like, hey, do you guys live, live on trees and this is and that? Like, all the crazy national Which is ridiculous, shit. but that's... Yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, what is this? Like, the night? Was it the 90s? It was the 90s. Yeah, like, 90s, I moved, yeah. we moved here in 89. So, yeah. some of that perception was probably still there. I mean, not so much now. Everyone has 
you know, social media and sees what, right. what mm-hmm. it is. Um, but yeah, so there was just that perception. And then so people just didn't understand it, ask you all these crazy questions, you know, that were just like consulting. And then, uh, and then <clears throat> you also didn't fit in like, there's also like a stigma with like African-Americans mm-hmm. and Africans, right? So right. it's like I almost didn't fit in with, with like, other like African-Americans who had like had like, you know, generations of family in, in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they saw me as different because I spoke a different language. Maybe I was like a shade darker, right? Mm. And so it was almost like you just didn't fit in with anyone. Um, and then I think the language barrier was really tough. So Did you speak English when you came or? Very little, you know, I, I spoke very little. I mean, I was basically a first. And you don't even have an accent, which is very impressive. Man, that's no. that's because it was so painful trying to fit in that you almost like trained yourself to forget yeah. the language. Right. You know, like when we'd get home, we wouldn't speak Swahili to my parents. Uh-huh. And they would encourage us to speak it, but we were like, no, like we're getting grilled at school. Like we've got to like mm-hmm. we are trying to acclimate to our right to our reality. Right. And so And what as, about school? Like was school tough? Like the actual like, you know, the material or was that kinda no, I mean, I think the educational system in Kenya is like much more um, advanced. Not necessarily advanced, but it's more strict. Got it. You know, so you had to like pay attention in class. Teacher yeah. could could punish you. In yeah, class. like hit you. They could hit you. You yeah. have like what do they call it? Corporate punishment. Yeah. Like they would have assemblies yeah. if you were if you're dicking around right. and and they would whip you or whatever the case may be. So people took it a little bit more. Way more discipline. More discipline. So I would say when I came to the U.S., I was like, oh, this is a little bit more lax. You can like pass your grade even if you're not yeah. passing. Um, but I'd say to answer your question, uh, there was definitely certain subjects that I was much more advanced at, but English was obviously not one of them. Mm. But I think like math and science and things of that nature, I, I definitely was mm-hmm. more advanced than most of the kids in my school. Was it easy for your parents to find <laughs> jobs when they moved here? Oh, no, it was, it was it was incredibly difficult. So imagine they went to college, four-year college. Yeah, in, in Kenya. In Kenya got engineering degrees, worked until their mid-30s, moved to this country, and yeah. then tried to get a job. And they're like, well, your degree doesn't count here. Huh. So they had to go back to school and, and really? train for new professions. So my dad went back to school and became a civil engineer. So how are you guys living? Man, it was, you know, living from apartment to apartment. Um, three ki- Like, imagine having three kids that are raised in Africa, like... Stop, like man. you just can go out and do whatever. Yeah, and here you know? it's like and then jail. Literally, you come here and it's like if your kids are running around the street, you're looked at like you're crazy. Yeah, like, yeah. your kids. I'm do sure that. you had to learn that the hard way in a way. Yeah, it's like, and there's no babysitters in Africa. Yeah. Like your 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 family, your community. You. Yeah. So my parents would be going to work or, or school, and we'd literally just be at home by ourselves. You know, mm. so there was that experience. They're working a job. They're going to school. So we didn't really have. We didn't have a babysitter, so we were just self-governed. Yeah, legitimately. And what kind of stuff would you do as a kid, like here? Like, what, oh man, what? we would uh, build tree houses. Yeah, we do. You know, bows and arrows. You know, we'd catch frogs. You know, we do just like yeah. w- exactly what we did in Africa, but yeah. now we just brought it out here, and people were petrified in our neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> you're that. You're that. Like, kid what are school. these guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> wrong. Wrong part of town. Yeah, we're like Bay-Bay's kids, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, what I mean, like, and then I guess, like, what, at what point did you start feeling like, I, uh, you know, like I'm comfortable now here, and I can, like, I know what, you know, I know what I need to do to, like, yeah. whatever path I want to go down, type of thing. Well, I think when when I got to like fourth, fifth grade, I started getting more comfortable. Like, you know, I watch a lot of Bugs Bunny and cartoons. That's how we learned English. Um, so started to fit in a little bit more. People were accepting you. It was cool. 
and you're doing well in school and you're recognized for science or math. So you just have these small wins yeah. that give you the confidence and then you, you eventually get friends and, you know, and uh, you just feel like you're just like the rest of everyone else. And so probably after two years, you know, started to feel comfortable and, and just felt like a normal kid, you know, and it was, it wasn't like hard or anything like that. Yeah. It was just, it was just normal now. It's just a different place that I live at. Yeah. And then, so now you're like kind of approaching like high school and, and you go to high school, like, did you have college on your mind? Like, did you know what you wanted to do or was it um, kind of I'll figure it out type of thing? I think I, I, I knew what I wanted to do by the time I was 15 years old. Okay. And it was just an interesting car ride that I had with my dad and my brother. And I remember vividly, me and my brother were in the back seat and we're, you know, kind of arguing about something and we were sort of in like a negotiation, you huh. know, and like my dad just kind of letting us do it and he's sitting in the front and, you know, and your brother's know, older than you. He's or? a little older. He's okay. one year older than okay. me. Super smart guy. And yeah. He's he's. I'm I'm the younger brother that copied everything that he did. But we're having this negotiation, and I somehow come out on top of the negotiation. You know, and my dad just said something like, "Hey, you you'd make a really good businessman one day." Huh. You know, and I think he just said it sort of just whatever. You yeah. know, he didn't really think about it, but for whatever reason, <clears throat> just that that belief huh. that I could be that. Um, just stuck in my mind. It seared somewhere in the back of my mind in my subconscious, and I kind of knew I was always looking for um, that opportunity, or I wanted to be something like that. And and did that mean like starting your own business, or did 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 you not know really what it meant? Yet? I didn't know what it meant. Yeah, but it gave me some sort of belief, you know, that I didn't ever, I never had. You know, I was just thinking, you know, what you just said. It, it brought up some curious topic in my mind, which is like the power of words, like how far. Yeah words can go you know your father saying that just in passing almost without any intent left an almost like lifelong impact on you and you know it's, it's kind of interesting i was watching a speech a few probably a few years ago and it was talking about the power of words and how those have such a big impact do you feel like that has any sort of impact on your life right now and how does that play a part in your life i think it's huge and you know if you <clears throat> if you study neuroscience it's what you say to yourself and the words that the thoughts that you have internally have so much to do with what your reality looks like, you know? And that's why for me right now, a lot of what I represent, a lot of what the brand represents is about, you know, doing good for yourself and others. And a lot of that comes from how you, the, the conversations you have with yourself and the things that you say to yourself. Um, so it's really important, yeah. you know, and it's hard to check, right? Like how do you check yourself every day and what you're saying? You have to be aware, mm -hmm. you know, and, I think um, <clears throat> what I've learned, too, is with, especially as a male, you're sort of told not to be aware of emotions and things that you say to yourself. You know, you kind of like shelve that off for a while, but it's actually those soft skills are really important. The people that have the soft skills of being able to understand what they're saying and how they feel, mm -hmm. they have the more of the opportunity. The to, emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. Self-awareness. Opportunity, yeah. opportunity to like manifest what you want, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, Versus being mm -hmm. a, sort of a slave to your own, you know, negative right, thoughts. For sure. You know? So yeah. at 15 years, you kind of have this realization of, oh, you know, perhaps that's something I want to pursue. Did you do anything about it? Did you start selling, you know, something? Yeah, I always had, you know, little things that I would do. Um, I mean, just the same stuff everyone else would do. I'd, I'd do the neighbor's yard and, and collect some money. I remember I had, I had a fashion design class in my sophomore year. 
And it was like fashion was in high school. In high school, yeah, they had That's like. A, what high school you go to? I wish I went to that. It's Orange County, man. It's, come on, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. These guys are just thinking about money. That's yeah. it. Right. Right. So, sense. but it was like that. That school fit them had mm. somehow worked out a curriculum, like an elective, That's awesome. to introduce kids to fashion. Yeah, so they were obviously trying to grow their program. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, this is cool. Like I was at that point, I was a skateboarder. I, in high school, all, all I wanted to do was skateboard, and through skateboarding. I started getting noticed because I was pretty good. And mm-hmm. so companies would start sending me all these clothes. <clears throat> so I started getting a sense of fashion and I started liking to like match my Streetwear. stuff together and all yeah. those things, right? Sneakers. Yeah. And I took this fashion design class and I realized like all the girls that were in this class, like they just wanted to do it because it was like this glamorous yeah. thing, you know? But I was actually really good at working with my hands. I was good at sewing. You know, I was good at pattern making. And you're, you're what, 16? I was about, yeah. Like 15, what an 16. actual fashion designer should be like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the, <laughs> yeah the back room of like yeah, yeah. fashion design. Yeah, so yeah. I started charging. Like, you know, I was like, hey, I'll make your your purse. You know, we got 250 or something and we got we got going. So <laughs> I, I always had this entrepreneurial mindset because, A, because I never really had a job and my, yeah. I never got like an yeah. allowance. Right. So you just had to figure out ways to like to get by, you know? So it was a necessity to figure out things to do. So, and did you have like a, like one passion that you were like, I know that I'm going to eventually end up doing something like this, or was it kind of just different passions like skateboarding and fashion and this and that? And you know, we, you weren't really set on one thing. Well, in my, in, in my high school years, it was definitely skateboarding. I wanted to become a professional skateboarder. It was any, everything that I did was dedicated to skateboarding. Um, <clears throat> I would take it really, really seriously. Like mm. it was fun, but like I was, I was hard on myself because I wanted to become something, and so that's what I wanted to do. And I pursued it pretty intently until I was about eighteen. Yeah, because I knew if I wasn't professional by probably twenty, then you should probably figure out something else to do. Yeah, and you're um, and you're a pretty tall, dude. So mm. like, if you were like skateboarding well. That's pretty insane because usually it's like, you know, uh, the, the gravity, what is it, closer, low, to, closer low to the ground? Of gravity. Yeah, low center of gravity, like yeah. easier to do, you know, tricks you know, and yeah, stuff. So you fall, it's like watching a tall red <laughs> yeah. one fall, you know, it's like not not very graceful. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's very difficult. But, you know, so skateboarding was that focus. But luckily through the journey of skateboarding, I discovered like my brand, you know, and I discovered Rostercloth through that brand or not even Rostercloth, like what the product represents. Okay. And what the product is through skateboarding. And again, how old are you at that time? I'm 17 at this point. At this point, you're 17. Yeah. So I'm at I'm 17. I have a shoe sponsor. I'm sponsored by a, a board shop, and I'm skateboarding every day. I'm going to school every day. I'm I'm completely focused on this route. And, and your parents are okay with it. My mom was not okay with skateboarding yeah. at that point. Yeah. Being a skater meant you know you smoked weed yeah. and you yeah. like ditched school and you did yeah. all these things that were not great. Yeah. And my mom was like. No, like, I don't want you to do that. So, actually, I had to hide that I was skateboarding. I had to hide it from my mom. I had to hide it from my brother because my brother was an older brother that started skateboarding and I was an annoying little brother that yeah. just copied him. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'd have to, like, hide my skateboard before I got in the house. I'd have to skate at the skate spots that nobody else would go to. So, I had this, like, dream that I had to just, like, hide from from people. And so, but it just, like, it fueled that fire. Yeah. Like, you know, it fueled that fire to be the best at it and show them that, like, hey, like, look. I can make something of myself and, and mm-hmm. make something that you think is negative to a positive, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, my parents didn't necessarily, my mom didn't necessarily support. My dad had moved up North and he wasn't as involved in that part of my life, um, at that time of my life. But yeah, I was, I was definitely very intent about, about that. And, uh, yeah, that's how I discovered my brand. You know? And what happened with skateboarding? Like, why did, did you just decide it kind of like, don't want to go down this path or like, as far as like, yeah. really trying to be like the, one well, of the skateboarders type of thing. I've always been 
interested in the business of skateboarding too. So yeah. I, I understood that a lot of the guys that were professional or whatever, they weren't getting medical insurance. Right. You know, they weren't. They almost had to start like some sort of side business to like sustain themselves, exactly, right? Like right? whether it's a streetwear brand or shoes or something. Absolutely. And, Sports. but they didn't have, it wasn't like a real like job, right? Yeah. You, you weren't compensated like you should be for risking your life. Every you just wanted to make it into Tony Hawk's pro skater. Right. Man. That's what you, that was the goal. <laughs> that was the goal, right? Yeah. Make it on pro skater, you know, yeah. but, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a way of a sustainable, I didn't see a sustainable like way of living. Right long-term with that. And so luckily I, I noticed that at a really young age and kind of pivoted from there. You know? So what did you do after you had this realization? Well, along the way, I had created Rastaclad and created the brand because... So it was called Rastaclad at the time? At that time, I called it something different. I'll tell you the story. So Yeah, what does it mean also? Like, tell us, tell I'll us tell you that. the whole yeah. story. So yeah. um, so as I'm skateboarding, I have shoe sponsors and things, with this, things like that are happening. And one day I'm waiting for a friend to pick me up to go skate. And I'd set up a new skateboard. I put on a brand new pair of shoes. And those shoes used to come with these extra laces. Because when mm -hmm. you're skateboarding, yep. you're tearing through your shoelaces, mm -hmm. right? And my friend's taking forever. I'm like, where are you at? He's like, oh, I'm stuck in traffic. You know, classic LA. And uh, I decided to take one of the extra laces and just kind of like fashioned a bracelet. Braided one together. Put it on my wrist. Didn't think much of it. And he picks me up. We go skateboarding. You know, I go to school the next day. And I still have this bracelet on. And like, surprisingly... Like 10 of my friends were like, yo, Daniel, that's a cool bracelet. Can you get one to match my sneakers or my hat or whatever? And I was like, this little light went off. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't have a job. I don't have, a, yeah. I don't have anything going for me on that front. So, you know, it was kind of like, hey, you got a little, you got some, you got a $5 or whatever, and I'll make you a bracelet, right? So $50 in a day. That sounded pretty good to me. Yeah. And so I go home and I, after school, and I kind of sweatshop these bracelets and I go back to school the next day and give it to my friends. And <clears throat> that, Next, that same day, 10 more people asked me for it, you know, and everyone that I'd give I want to go back to this high school, right? El Dorado High School, yeah, throw it down, shout out, um, shout out, right? And basically, the cool thing that happened that I actually didn't recognize is every single person would come back to me with a story of, like, hey, I was noticed by someone by this bracelet, or I was really inspired by your creativity because of, you know, the bracelet. And I think you're in the perfect place, like, high school, man. I remember being in high school and people wearing, like, cool shit to school and, like, everyone wanting to, like, you know, find yeah. out where they got it from and just kind of, you know, these trends, like, low-key yeah. trendsetters in high school, like, it was a big deal. Yeah, it was a huge deal. And so it, but the interesting thing is it made me feel worthy like i had self-worth because i felt like yeah. i was doing something for someone else mm. like it was cool to make five bucks but it was cooler to make someone else feel good so where right. were you getting these uh, shoelaces from um well i worked at a skate shop at that point i had a i mean the skate shop that sponsored me i kind of worked mm -hmm. there part-time and um we had a bunch of shoelaces just tucked away um so there was that and i also had a bunch of shoes at my house that i was that I just kind of throw all the laces at the side of my room. So that was kind of my supply chain, you know, at that point. Yeah. You know, skate shop. And then I used to knew the, the reps that used to come by the skate shop. And I was like, hey, if you guys have extra laces, can you hook me up with them? So that, you know, the rep for, you know, Lakai and S and Nike and Adidas and all these companies would just give me the extra laces because I was just this shop kid right. that was like, had this crazy idea. Or, had this crazy collection. Of yeah, collection Sustain of sustainability at its finest, man. Yeah. Like, what else are you going to do with those shoelaces? Throw them away? Cost yeah. more. There you go. That was my supply yeah. chain at that point. So that's so how I... At amazing. that time, you called it Rastaclad or no? No, at that time, we ca I called it... Uh, it was me and a couple friends were, were doing the, the idea. And it was when that movie Belly came out. And, you know, there's all these, like, cool Jamaican terms that we had learned from this movie. So we used to call each other Bumbaclot. Like, hey, mm. what's up, Bumbaclot? Mm. And we didn't know what it meant, you know? Yeah. And so... That's what that's what I called the, the brand when I was like a, mm -hmm. a high school kid, and then 
one day a Jamaican lady comes to the skate shop and she's like, what is this brand you're calling Bumbleclot? This is not. And I'm like, whoa, she's like totally grilling me. And, I, and she's like, do you know what this means? And then she told me what it meant. And I was like, oh, shit, <clears throat> that's not really a good term in, in Jamaican <laughs> terms. So, um, What did it mean? So <clears throat> in Jamaican uh, uh, dialect, patois, the word clot means cloth. Okay. So you call someone a bumbleclot, it's like your bum and a cloth. So you're calling someone, when you say that term, it really means you're yeah. equivalent to like the cloth that I wipe my yeah, ass okay, with. Okay. Right? I've, so, heard, I've heard it in songs. I didn't know exactly what it meant, but that makes sense. Yeah, so that's what it means. And uh, yeah. it was cool. Like we were, you know, we're kids from Orange County. Like we don't know this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it was cool. It was a cat- <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure it worked in Orange County. But <laughs> yeah, if you're, you're just else, a white kid in Orange County. You would have been, yeah. been called out way <laughs> before that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it was fun. It was catchy. It was like it was actually a really good name for that yeah. demographic, right? So it's how, did you, how did you scale it even within like that own small community of yours? So or did I, you not? I, I did. So I basically... A couple of my friends, two of my friends that were best friends, we decided to band together and start like a little sweatshop. So after school, we'd all meet up and we'd make these bracelets. And then on the weekends, we'd go to the parties and we'd have a bag full of bracelets and we would be, there'd be like hip hop ciphers going on and we were selling bracelets. And nice. mm. so it was kind of like you're selling them at school, you're selling them in parties yeah. and you're in the background, like trying to figure out how to build a true real business. This isn't we're kind of like now graduating high school. Like we got to figure out what we're doing. And that was what you were thinking about? Like yeah, actually like now, making this like a real business? Now this is like, this is the thing. Like yeah. this is that opportunity because it's worked in such a micro scale. So I'm thinking, how do I mass produce these? You know, how do I get into retail? How do I, you know, manage my inventory? And so we're trying to figure these things out in the back end. And we're like, Did you know anything years. about that world Nothing. at all? Zero. Like nobody in my world was an entrepreneur. I didn't know any entrepreneurs. I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I, didn't I mean, know this is like right before the e-commerce wave, and like you're thinking retail here is like that's even like a more yeah. foreign. And had you told your parents about this one or no? They knew about it, yeah. Because I mean, I was in my room like just making bracelets, making bracelets all the time. I'm like, what the heck is this kid doing? <laughs> and so, but they also knew it was kind of a thing because my my network started to grow. Yeah. And um, did you go to college? Yeah. So after high school, I decided I took kind of a year, and I was like, I'm just gonna figure it out. I I, I wanted to go to a four year college, but I just knew. I wouldn't be able to afford it, mm-hmm. and I wasn't the kid that was getting, getting like grants or anything of that nature. Um, I was always pretty intelligent, but I, I didn't have enough. Um, I wasn't pressured enough by my parents to make sure that that happened. Right. You know, because um, and did you even know what you would study if you went to school? Was it business? No, I wouldn't have known at that. You point. wouldn't even know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But when I took that class about fashion, I knew from that point onwards that I wanted to start a business within fashion yeah. or apparel. Mm. You know. I, I kind of knew. And so right after high school, I decided to go to FITM. And so I went nice. to FITM and I studied apparel manufacturing and uh, it was a crash course. And I loved it because it was hands-on. Everything that I did, I could apply. I wasn't learning about rocks, which is what I was doing in my junior college. <laughs> yeah. Sedimentary. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Ma- what was, I don't remember. Yeah, rocks and clouds. I mean, yeah. I don't know, man. I wasn't going to be a geologist. <laughs> yeah, Nimbus. Right? So, yeah. Yeah, you guys had the same experience as me, yeah, right? For sure. Um, so I knew Nimbus clouds. Yeah. See, or still remember? Still remember, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> so you were famous. Got to get that yeah. out of my fucking brain. Fit something else in there. It'll come in handy one yeah, day. Yeah, one yeah, day. One day yeah. One day. I don't know when, but I'll let you know when it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, 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 like, I guess, what about the the brand or business that whatever you had at the time in high school, like, gave you kind of this, like sign of like this is this could be way bigger than what it is i think that the fact that it worked in basically such a small scale okay mm-hmm. so like i built it with just like me and my 10 friends to yeah. like three high schools yeah 
Like kids in all three high schools okay. were wearing it. Kids, they were talking about it in this like little the, in in our cities, right? Yeah. So it just like it had scaled from like something small to like three high schools and kids were wearing it and they knew about it and they were coming to the skate shop and buying it and it was kind of like a thing. Okay. And there was no social media at the time. No social media. But did you think, like, did that ever, like, trigger come where I was like, all right, well, this is scaling to, like, these high schools and it's, like, word of mouth kind of in the community. But, like, how does it scale beyond that? Like, how does it scale to people who are, like, 40 years old or 50, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, or even younger, like... Did you even think about like, I feel like it's one of those situations where kind of not knowing mm-hmm. like allowed you to jump into it, yeah. right? And like if you knew too much about just like scaling a business and like, you know, the product market fit and all these things, you'd probably be like, oh, no. mm, I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> Honestly, if I would have given, if I would have come to people with my business plan, yeah. like I even in retrospect, if I was an investor and someone would have come to me with my business plan, I probably wouldn't have invested, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, a little bit is is just like this sometimes this little bit of a delusional, like, you know, but also like this heavy confidence in believing in something that sets you apart, you know? And I guess mm-hmm. they call that vision, right? And Or if it doesn't work, they call it big idiot. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. Either you're a genius yeah. Yeah, yeah, or you're an idiot. Yeah. There's a very thin line between yeah, those two yeah. words, oh, yeah. right? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I, I kind of wanted to learn it, but I didn't even know where to start. Right. I didn't know where to start. Like I had no clue how to even go to China and make something, you know, I had no clue how to do a market research or any of that. So at that point I decided to just put that idea in my back pocket, you know, and I went to school, I learned the game and then I went to, uh, after school, I started designing for companies like Levi's and Disney Mm -hmm. Um, and Reebok. So I was learning like the craft of technical design and product Mm -hmm, development. mm -hmm. And I was meeting with people in production and sales reps and factories. So now I'm starting to put all the pieces together. Like I had my crash course at school. Now I'm in the work environment working for these brands and I'm putting the pieces together of how a business works and how the synergy, how it all works. And also studying CEOs and what they're doing and how aggressive that they are and how they're empowering their teams and you know, just learning all those dynamics, you know, and without me having that work experience, because I didn't have any mentors or anyone that was entrepreneurial entrepreneurial around me, um, it would have been very difficult for me to package it all mm-hmm. together. So, And were you naturally good at just the design aspect and just like built, like designing stuff and creating stuff or did it, did it come like it was just kind of like comparing yourself to your peers? Mm-hmm. Like you can brag here a little bit. Like were you like really good or were you like, was it kind of like, you know, I was... I was yeah. just creative. Like I just yeah. had a, I have a sense of style yeah. <clears throat> that was just like, just creative, right? Like I would just wear something a little bit different, right? Or I would just do things a little bit different. I think, I think it has a lot to do with the, your personality. Like when I was, I was a youngest born or the last born. So kind of for mm. me, I didn't get a lot of attention as a child. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I think my, my brother got a lot more attention. So I had to find ways. A little bit to, like rebellious. Yeah. I had to find yeah. ways to get noticed without screaming. Right. So I always have like a little something extra where someone's like. What you see in like general generational differences too. You know, yeah. it's like the younger generation wants to not do the same thing the older generation is doing because it's like played out or it's mm-hmm. like they don't want to, I don't know. It's like you want to introduce a different twist or a different yeah. way of doing things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But I'd always been creative. You know, I loved I loved engineering. I loved science. I loved math. I loved play, I loved playing with things and taking things apart and putting them back together. So I was always creative with my hands, but also very analytical with my brain. Mm-hmm. So I have that like really great balance, and I was able to just kind of utilize that, um, whether in a professional setting or just kind of you know creating things on the mm-hmm. on the fly. And so, how long were you doing that for? Like, 
working um, at these companies? And- um, so basically, I graduated college 22, and I worked at these companies until about 27. So five years of just like in-work experience mm-hmm. and learning the game. Quick tangent. How do you feel about Levi's going public? Um, well, I don't really have a comment on that. Um, I mean, I think they have an amazing brand. And when I say brand, it's really what they stand for. I think that there's something that they're special there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and they have such a history. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, when you go public and, you know, these bigger companies come in and bring in their executive teams mm-hmm, and the culture mm-hmm. sort of changes, yeah. it's difficult to see what would happen from yeah. here. I hope they yeah. keep it together um, because that's a that's an iconic brand. Yeah. And, and maybe we could yeah. talk about it more on a segment called Why Brands Matter. Yeah, we will. Week, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so, so you're 27 and you kinda, you, you, you've been working for like about five years. Is this when you kind of leave to start Rastaclot or yeah. like, and why? So I'm working, I'm a, I'm a designer at Levi's and I just have this feeling that like, I can't do this by the time I'm 35, if I'm doing this, I'm going to be really unhappy. You saw the path that you were going down and you didn't want that. I didn't want that. Okay. For what reason though? Because I just felt that it was, it was. You felt like, were you like in a system, some sort of system that you just like wanted to be in your own system? It wasn't, it was just more so that I knew I had something. Yeah that I shouldn't be doing this. Like I shouldn't be running this rat race, Got right? It. Like I shouldn't be doing this when I know I have an idea in my back of my mind that can set me free. Did you feel like underutilized? Absolutely. You like know, you so, had more to offer, you just couldn't because you were kind of confined to like a role. Yeah, and so when I was working at that company, it was, you know, I had a role and every time the reviews would come up, it would be like, well, I'll wait for next year, or wait for next year. And I was just like, you know what? I'm never going to progress. The only way to progress is to quit your job. And a lot of times, if you think about it, you have to quit your job to get that next like big thing. Yeah. Right? Sometimes, if you're in the same position, was that two? You want two steps back, one step forward, type of thing, or the other way around? One step back, two steps forward. Yeah. Yes, so yeah. right. So yeah. <laughs> for me, I just knew I wasn't gonna really get far with that. I mean, I might make a really good living down the line, but it just wasn't something that I knew I'd be passionate about long term. And at that point, I was like, you know what? That idea that I've just kind of been gnawing at me for the past seven years, and I've been kind of learning the craft. Like, you should really do that. Because I felt like if I never did it in, to its, in, its entirety, I would live with regret, mm-hmm. right? And so at that point, 27, I was like, I got a, I got a tax return check that I wasn't expecting, yeah. mm-hmm. about four grand. And I was like- Nice oh, wow. little initial investment. I was like, this is it. Like, you have, you've learned everything that you need to learn. Like, now go do it. And so at that point, I Were was Were you like, scared at all? I was scared to death. Right, because if you think about like something you created maybe seven years ago with 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 friends yeah, and things like street, that, yeah. and it was like popular, and then like the chance that you could probably try that again and it just like falls flat. Yeah, it's almost like even the confidence that you had from what you built then would be even shattered more. Right, yeah. so that's the risk. Right, it's but like, it sounds like you had like the, I mean, we'll talk about like the brand and all that stuff, but um, it sounds like you were really just attached to that, right? Yeah, and you knew that that would work with I, this kind of vessel, if you will. Absolutely. That's like a I, I just had the belief that it could be something special. Like yeah. I'd seen kind of what it could do. And then I was like, this is something special if you can really put put like the right people behind it and, and build out that message and and like focus on it 150%. Like something can happen here. Daniel, you know? do you remember the day after you left? The day after? Yeah. Um, not clearly because I 
I not clear, maybe not in the crystal clear, but I do remember leaving. And what did and what was it like? Like, what did you do in the next days? Let's say that ensued after that. I mean, the next days after I left, it was it was now building the team. You didn't you take know? a break. No break. I was like well, right into it. If you huh? think about it, like I was working forty hours while at the at the company where I was designing Levi's, and I was also uh, working on my brand for forty hours, right, for a year. Year and a half, right? Your brand is in Rosslot. Okay, so you were working on it while you were there. Yeah, so I'm developing, oh, okay. like, doing all the graphic design, developing the logos, all that. So you're planning on it. You're planning, planning on planning it. Yeah. Moving, so moving when I got that check, I was like, all right, let's like start Now's putting all the pieces in place. So when I left, it wasn't like a. It was. It was already like, I was already working 40 hours a week, and it was just like you just left one job. Now I could put 80 hours into this opportunity. So yep. it was. It was an easy transition mm. for me. Yeah. And it was just you at the time. Yeah, it was just me at the time, and uh, you know, did you we get were, the old band back together? Or high school? I mean, I did try, <laughs> but there was. I mean, I think it was funny because I did try, and uh, you know, I think it's for some for some people. I guess for me, it was there was a lot of conviction that it would it was something that was. And special. you're like 27, you're like expecting these people to just quit their jobs. Yeah, some of them like, have kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. one one of my friend was a, he, one of them became a pastor. Yeah. So I'm like hit him up like hey like I want to I want to come to your congregation. Yeah, I'm like hey I want to try this again. Yeah. anymore. <laughs> I'm like you guys want in and I just never got any phone calls back, yeah. you know. But uh, the, a part of me wanted to reach out because I didn't want to like I wanted to give that opportunity because yeah. I didn't want to be like. Because it wasn't just me that did it, even in high school. Like yeah. those people that are wanted to me, give them that, yeah, least. that opportunity. Yeah, and so yeah. no one called me back. So I was like, all right, let's go get it. Let's go get it. And yeah. so, what do you even? I mean, how do you even begin to like get the wheels in motion? Like I know you've already kind of started getting like the you know the things off the ground as far as like designing it and all that stuff. But yeah. was it? Like, what was like the grandmaster plan as soon as you went full time? So once I went full time, <clears throat> the plan was my mindset is push yourself against the wall, like. Put yourself in a position where it's fight or flight, or like sink or swim. So, I didn't necessarily have this like elaborate business plan to start the company. I was just like, I have four thousand dollars. I'm gonna buy as much product as I can with this four thousand dollars, and I'm gonna figure it out from there. So, what I did was I started going to. Back then, it wasn't Coachella. It was like Smoke Out Tour. This is what year? Around what year? This was like 2010. Okay. Right. Smoke out tour, 2011, 2010. Smoke out tour, paid dues. Yeah. You know, Wango Tango. Yeah. I'd set up a table. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd go there early. I'd plaster all the bathrooms where the only place where you couldn't look. And you weren't else. like a preferred vendor or something like that. You no. just like went there yourself. And well, it. no, I used to buy spaces. Oh, you could. But I wasn't like legit one. It's like, okay, here's yeah. a little space. Set your table up. And so I would do that. And then I would start selling bracelets, you know. And I'd put posters up in the bathrooms. It was my guerrilla marketing campaign yeah. of like, because I knew once you get into this space, it's sensory overload. So when you're, on, when you're at a urinal, you can only look one direction. Oh, yeah. Right? So right there it says undivided, undivided attention. The official bracelet of whatever festival. And that wasn't legitimate. But, yeah. You know. <laughs> a bunch of fake news here. Amazing. Fake news, right? Yeah. But it was guerrilla marketing. I mean, yeah. you had to just be And again, scrappy. it's just you at the time. Just you making point, the bracelet. Yeah, you're me. marketing. You're advertising. You're going to these events. All that stuff. Well, yeah, at that point, I was I had found a, a manufacturer in Asia that was yeah. doing it for me. So I wasn't physically making the bracelets okay. like I was in high school, mm-hmm. but I had found a, a factory to do it for and, me. And did you have a website at the time, or how were you selling these things? Yeah, um, I had a website, but it wasn't – I was doing most of my sales vending. Oh, so it was physically – like, so you had the signs, and then like, you were expecting people to, like, walk out of the bathroom and see you there and yeah. just, like, buy like, it. walk by, see me, be like, oh, that's cool, and then – you know, try the bracelets on. And I was selling, like I was selling to. What was your people. What was your mission at the time, and has it changed since? 
my mission at what time? Like when I when, when in 2010, 2011, yeah. when you were going to these events and shows, what was the mission of Rasta Clock? I think when, in all honesty, when at that point it was more, it was just probably so less pinchless. about less <laughs> about mission and more just about survival, yeah. right? Like starting something and surviving. So it was it was definitely sales based. Like yeah. go out there and sell and get yeah. this product on people. Yeah. Um, we hadn't truly de- developed the brand and developed the message and what you see today. It was more of like, dude, like we've got to, we can't fail, you know? And so it was more selling. And so, but we did good. That first year while I was working full time in my job, I, I doubled my, my, um, what I was making at that company mm. selling at these like festivals. Really? So, and did you know what people wanted or was it kind of just this inclination of like, you know, I think this is what it is, but we'll see. I, I, I just, made what I thought people wanted and yeah. then I would just I would convince them that they wanted it you hmm. know how how pretend I'm one of those customers back in 2010 2011 yeah I'm walking by I see your stuff and I mean what's the conversation that you and I are having well you'd uh you'd probably have show seen, some interest yeah you show some interest you've probably seen the bracelet they'd be like oh this is a cool bracelet and uh, you know they'd ask me about this story and I'd say hey you know I've been hand making these in the past and you know, these are bracelets that I've made from extra pair of shoelaces. And they're like, whoa, these are made from shoelaces. And, you know, and then they try it on and, you know, and then they would just, they would just buy it. Everyone comes to an event with, you know, cash that's expendable, right? And so if you do have a conversation with someone and you show some genuine interest in them, you know, they eventually are going to buy your product and support your idea, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of it was just connecting with people and not necessarily trying to sell them the bracelet, but just like, hey, like, this is what I'm doing. This is like my mission, I love this brand. This is something that I've been trying to do since high school. And, you know, whether it was out of like, you know, like yeah. feeling pit- bad for you, pitying yeah. me or whatever, they, they bought it. And, yeah. you know, they, but they tell that story, right? Like now yeah. it's on your wrist. And yeah. so the interesting thing about what you wear on your wrists or what you wear on your fingers or what you wear on your neck is these are items that, that mean something to you. Right. You know, so, well, ideally, like they would mean something. Yeah. Exactly. So a lot of times when someone asks you what that is, there's a story behind it. Mm-hmm. So what was happening is, my story of trying to take this ordinary product and make a business and a brand out of it, people were telling that story as, as they went out. And that's kind of, that's a conversation. I mean, it wouldn't have been a specific conversation, mm-hmm. like a sales pitch, but it would right. have just been connecting with people and, and going yeah. from there. And when you start a business, obviously, like the, the you know, the advice, general advice is like, know who your target audience is, to know who your target market is, go after that. Did you know? Or was it kind of like, I'm just going to go where the action is yeah. and see who buys it who doesn't i knew that people there was thousands of people tens of thousands of people at these festivals and yeah. i knew Con- that, and concentrated in one area concentrated a lot of in one area can, i knew they yeah. had i knew they had cash and i knew they were going to spend a certain amount of their money on merchandise mm. and i also knew that i had a price point that was very competitive to everyone else yeah and so <clears throat> i didn't know if it was male or female, I didn't know exactly what age range they were. I didn't know exactly what lifestyle they were into. Um, those are things that developed as we went along. But at first, it was just like, go where everyone's at. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, it was kind of doing market research while launching the, the brand. Yeah. And as, as, as I went to these things, I started to narrow down, like, who is that market? Like, who are the people that are resonating with it? Why are they resonating with it? And then I could start to mm-hmm. really, you know, determine... Who are my customers and right. how do I service them better? Right? And we'll talk about kind of how where things go from there as far as the growth. But before we do, like, you know, whenever t- someone takes a leap as far as like leaving their like corporate job and like, you know, starting a business, I'm sure there's there's always this like risk of like, what if it doesn't work out? Right. And for you, 
was that heavy on your mind? Like, did you, did you, were you okay with that as far as, you know, like, I'll just get another job or was it kind of like, this is it. Like, I got to make this work and like, yeah, that's I, it. yeah I, 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 I tricked my mind into a life or death situation. Yeah. I, I, and it was, I was really intense at that point in my life. Like, yeah, well, it sounds like, like you were very intentional as far as not wanting to go back. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Like, I was, it was actually like, it was kind of ridiculous. Like you're treating this like you're, if you don't make it work, that your life is going to be over. And right. so put a lot of pressure on yourself but you work you work really really hard and it it luckily worked for me right and so it was just putting myself in a situation where there was no plan b Mm -hmm. and just clawing through it so um so when does it like just obviously take off and become like a real full-on business yeah people all that stuff so basically that first year you're you know we're selling at festivals and um i had a I had my products sold in some retail stores, some skate stores and, and lifestyle stores. And this is a, a sales rep went into the store and he was like, man, this is a cool product. It's really unique. And, you know, he asked the person that owned the store, who's doing this brand? And he gave him my info. And so the sales reps called me and they're like, hey, we don't have a brand like this in our, in our portfolio. Would, are you looking for res- representation? And I was like, yeah, I definitely am looking for representation. So I bring these sales reps on. And at that time, um, I was seeding the product out to a lot of like artists, like the game was wearing them, mm-hmm. Kid Cudi was wearing it in certain things. Um, and Did Kid Cudi wear your bracelet? That was big. Yeah, that's big. Because he's like, was he wearing a day and night? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to make that dad really joke, bad dad, dad joke. That was good, dude. Dad that was, that yeah, was I had fast. to make that dad joke. I mean, we, I, well, hope, I hope he was wearing it. His mojo day. was so good. <laughs> it was sure. good. It was good. It was good. Um, but yeah, that was happening. So I was getting some marketing, you know, things were happening on the marketing side. And then sales reps joined in and, you know, Nick Diamond was wearing like the Ross Club bracelet. And I had figured out who my market was. Like sneakerheads were like really loving yeah. this product because it was- and it's like right around the time like sneakers are becoming like, I mean, it's exactly. like after the Jordan craze where it's like now it's like all Right these, then, like yeah. the Galaxies yeah. and the, the Gucci Dunks and the Tiffany Dunks are all like sneaker, yeah. retro sneaker mm-hmm. is- First Yeezys, like Louis Vuitton. It wasn't even there quite yet. It wasn't yet. even there, yeah. But, like the sneaker culture is now starting to bud. And then I find that that's my- my demographic right at that point and i latch on to that mm. so it kind of went from widespread to like now focused and uh yeah we took this they took the brand on and literally within three months we went from probably being sold in 30 retail stores to about 2,000 retail wow. stores and at that point no it, outside funding no outside funding just continuously taking that initial investment and reinvesting and at that point i was like okay this is real and that's right around the time that i quit my job Right. Okay. So it was in that first year I quit my job and I was like, I was like, I got to go into this full board. And um, at that time, I was like, I got to build a team, too, you know, because I was great at being outside telling the brand story, right. but I needed a team. So um, my partner, Eileen Chen, I reached out to her and she was in uh, going to uh, thinking about going to NYU and getting her double master's. And how did you and know I, Eileen? Eileen, I knew her from one of the companies I worked on. I worked I worked at within Got those like five years of sort of apprenticeship. And you thought she'd compliment. Oh my gosh. She's, yeah. she's amazing. She knew yeah. how to, at 23 was basically operating businesses, um, super organized, understood the back end of everything and, and all that. So, so is she like the COO now or? She's a president. Um, but when we first brought her on, she was a COO. She was op- operations behind the business. And, you know, it was, yeah, within that first year, um, brought her on and we partnered together and so started setting up the back end of the, the business and put the office together and I was out there selling and marketing and, and creating product and she was developing the Just a true internally. founder, really. Yeah, yeah. So 
that was it. And, and you haven't taken any outside funding since. It's just always no, been self-funded. No funding. I mean, my philosophy, and maybe a lot of people don't believe this now, my philosophy is it's still a little old school. Like, if your business isn't self-sustainable, yeah, then you don't really have a business, you know? Yeah, I think Pat and I have the same mentality. Yeah. Because you hear all these stories of, and, and I'm not knocking them, but you hear all these stories of companies raising hundreds of I think millions, it makes Well, I think millions. it makes certain sense for, like, technology companies that, like, sure. are, like, really sure. trying to build the future, like, and they're subsidizing you know the initial kind of rollout of like, uh, uh, you yeah, know, but like adoptation and all like that Uber stuff. But Uber and Tesla and stuff, they still have are they're, they're still in the red. Yeah, but, uh, but IPO is their yeah. only solution, right? Because these these businesses are based on valuations. Yeah. right? it's based on yeah. a on an arbitrary mm-hmm. figure that's just out in the air, right? Mm-hmm. If if the belief of that fades, they actually have nothing, right? Yeah. Right. Um, but they have their IP, they have their data. Those are all sure. worth something. But for me, it's like. If the business isn't bringing in a profit at the end of the day, then if you're at, at our level, then it's like, then you don't really have a business. You know, I think there's different ways of looking at it. And right. yeah, no knock to technology. And no, absolutely not. No. Yeah. But um, for me, that was my truth. Yeah. It's like, if I can't create a business that's self-sustainable, and plus I wanted to, I wanted to be in control of my success or my failure. Yeah. I didn't want someone else to dictate that mm-hmm. and it was that's just yeah. ego especially in pride, a company where like right? brand really leads everything yeah yeah so it was yeah. just i guess it was just my ego and pride that i wouldn't let mm-hmm. anyone else yeah. invest in the company and i was like no if i'm gonna make it it's on me if i'm not gonna make it it's on me and i don't owe anyone a dime yeah so right. daniel tell us right now 2019 <clears throat> what is what does rasta clot look like right now you know how can people find you where can they find you yeah. tell us a little bit about the so, present day 2019 i mean rasta clot you know, it's a symbol of righteousness and really what it means is doing good for yourself and others, you know, and you can um, really our product is a canvas of positivity. So what we're about is how do we inspire people to be more positive and and think positive thoughts, right? And if you think about that first experience that I had where someone was, when I was in high school and I gave the bracelet and someone came back to me and they were inspired by the creativity or how it made them feel and there was that exchange, we call it that emotional exchange, is like, my goal now is how do I scale that emotional transaction, mm-hmm. right? And that's what the brand has evolved to now. And so, you know, what you'll see us doing is we partner with charities and we do, you know, give backs, you know. Um, for instance, we came out with the NBA program with NBA players and, you know, Nike and Adidas are going to tell this performance player, this performance story of the player. And who's telling the player's story about how they're um, a man and they're giving back to the community and they're inspiring other people, Right. So it's about telling stories, right, and inspiring people to become uh, better, right? So if you hear a story of an athlete, of how they've done something amazing, how they became an athlete, hopefully you learn from that experience, mm-hmm. right? And I think in our school system, we're taught a lot about rocks and geology and these, yeah. like, these, like, these things, but I think the soft skills and being able to understand how to navigate through life and how to talk to yourself and what, to, what you say to yourself and what that, how that is really important – can only you you really only learn those things through hearing other people's stories of how they right. overcame them. So what I'm passionate about <clears throat> and what <clears throat> excuse me and what we're passionate about at Rosterclock is storytelling and telling those stories through our products, right? And um so yeah, today Rosterclock you can find us online rosterclock.com r a s t a c l a t uh .com and same thing with Instagram and yeah. all the other social media that's mm-hmm. out there. But we're also in 45 countries. Um, which has been really remarkable. It's incredible. Um, we're we're truly a global brand. Yep. Um, because our message seek the positive and positivity, 
It doesn't matter if you're black, white, rich, poor, yeah, whatever. It resonates everywhere that I go. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find us there. You can find us in retail. How many um, retail stores are you guys in right now? Right now we're in about five thousand. Yeah, so you can around the world, around the world, probably probably more. Hard to say. Yeah. Um, but you can find us in you know Zoomies. You can find us in. Um, Finish line, athlete's mm-hmm, foot, mm-hmm. you know, NBA arenas all around um, the U.S. Uh, and, you know, Tilly's and other retailers as well. So, mm-hmm. How many people work at Rocks O'Clock? Right now we have about 35 internally. Um, but if you look at all of our distributions all around the world, we have we have probably over 100 people that work on Rocks O'Clock. Wow. Yeah. And what's your main role? Like what is your day-to-day like? My day-to-day mostly is uh, is based around partnerships and, you know, going out there, finding what those partnerships that align with the brand message are going to be. Um, it's leadership as well. You know, we have a really amazing leadership team, um, guys that come from, you know, Stance and Hundreds yeah. and, uh, you know, Volcom and all these other things, all these great companies that have done great things. Um, and getting everyone aligned and understanding what that vision is and how their day-to-day role can get us to where we want to be, right? Because right. my goal is to, and our goal as well, is to inspire at least 1% of the world's population, you know? So so about 600 million people. Yeah, within mm-hmm. the next 700 million Kind of have probably about three years to do that, right? That's yeah. kind of the, that's the goal that we set. So um, we got a lot of storytelling to do, a lot of content we got to put out, a lot of partnerships that we got to make sure that are set up the right way. So we can accomplish that. You know, yeah. we don't want to just sell bracelets. Like that's right. not inspiring. You know? And we'll talk about that on tomorrow's second, which is like, you know, brand building and storytelling and all that stuff. But Absolutely. just want to say thank you, man, for for sharing your story. It's freaking inspiring. And uh, just kind of from where you, you know, where you were born and the conditions you were in to where you're now. And I think, uh, you know, both Posh and I are excited to see where Rasta Clock goes from here. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. And we're all, we all came from far, far places. So yeah. I'm hyped on you guys and what you guys are doing. And Thanks, same, inspiring as well. So appreciate you guys having me. I feel honored. Thank you.